We're going to open God's word here and participate in worship as we've been worshiping, but now we come to his word to hear what he has for us, to allow God to speak into our lives through, um, through his holy word, through his inspired word. And so just take a moment and remember, God is here with us. God wants to speak to you today. God has a message for you. You're not here by accident, but he uh, actually wants to have a conversation with you here today. So be ready to hear from God. Let's pray. Father God, we ask as we open the scriptures, God, would you make them clear to us? Father, we pray that not one person in this room would consider themselves outside of what we're about to hear, but that we would all be ready to respond to the way that your word challenges us and to the way that it encourages us, Lord. So God, we just pray that we wouldn't miss a single thing that you have to tell us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, stay standing with me for a moment. We're going to uh, start by reading God's word. Um, I'm going to read God's word and just, um, we're moving forward in Philippians. We'll be in Philippians chapter three today, but here's what Paul has to say. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And that it, that this, we'll talk about what that is in a moment. But he says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is such a cool and rich and powerful passage of Scripture today. Amen? All right, go ahead and have a seat. You guys, I'm excited to share God's Word with you today. This passage has really been working on me this week, and it's always exciting when I get to share with you the, the insights and the challenges that I've seen in the Scriptures. Um, today we're going to talk about perseverance which is a big word and which is a big concept in the Bible and in the Christian life. Um, but I think that we oftentimes can be liable to misunderstand what perseverance really is because we have a certain sense of perseverance in our culture and even in our sort of American way of life that perseverance is about pushing forward, you know, putting off the obstacles, straining forward to obtain this thing that if we didn't stick to it, we wouldn't obtain. And yet biblical perseverance is a little bit different. It's a little bit different from the if at first you don't succeed, try, try again kind of perseverance. What we've seen and what we will see in this passage today is that Paul's depiction of Christian perseverance combines with this idea of straining forward and fighting to the end this other idea of assurance, that we can be assured that what God has begun in us, he will bring to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And that makes the kind of perseverance that God calls us to in the scriptures very different than the kind of perseverance that we might think of when we think about just regular old persevering through the hard times to get to the better times ahead. And so the question today is, what does it mean to persevere when you're already assured, you already know that you will succeed? What does it mean to press on, to fight through the obstacles when you already know without a shadow of, of a doubt that you are going to obtain the thing for which you are persevering? And so when we talk about these two very common concepts in the New Testament, perseverance and assurance, they seem to us very, very different. In fact, you might think about uh, perseverance in this way. These are words that we see in the Bible that are associated with persevering in the faith, striving, 
growing, learning, keeping the faith, walking in the Spirit. On the other hand, assurance, we identify with certain words in the Bible like believing and accepting, resting, trusting God, receiving God's grace. And when you look at a chart like this, those two ideas seem just astronomically different, right? You have the idea of working hard, of fighting towards something, and you have the idea of just resting and being assured and knowing something to be true. And this has led throughout history in the church. Uh, the church has been, had a really hard time sort of figuring out how these two things fit together. But what we see in the Bible is that the Bible puts these two things right together. What we see in this passage is that these two ideas are not only closely tied together, but they're related. What we're going to see in the passage as we go forward is how perseverance and assurance fit together in the Christian life. And so let's dive into this passage. Let's see what God has for us. We're going to work through this in kind of a unique way. So if you're using the, uh, the bulletin that has the scripture printed in there, if you're looking on in your Bible, we're working backward through the passage. So we're going to start at the end and work back to the beginning. The first thing that we see is basically just what Paul is talking about, which is the mature Christian mindset. The mature Christian mindset. Look at what he says in verses 15 to 16. After all of this passage, he ends by saying, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And so he's depicting here in this whole passage what it is to be a mature Christian. And what's really interesting about that phrase when he says, let those of us who are mature think this way, that think this way in the Greek language, which the Bible was written in, that, that has happened twice already in this letter of the, to the Philippians. Paul's used this phrase already twice, but each time in the English it's translated a different way. In chapter 1, he says, um, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. And that feel this way is the same as think this way in this passage. Then in chapter 2, talking about Jesus, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And that have this mind is also the same as think this way. And so what Paul's calling us to here is not just an ordinary, regular, momentary thought about God, but he's calling us to a certain mindset a certain way of thinking, a certain uh, manner of thinking just throughout our whole lives that is directed toward God. And so he's talking about a mature mindset, the mature Christian mindset. And so what is that mature Christian mindset? Well, that's what the rest of the, pa of the passage shows to us. So moving back a little bit more, we'll see that the mature Christian mindset perseveres to the end. There's something about the mature Christian mind that is determined, that is set on persevering in the faith, in the relationship with Jesus to the very end, and then receiving what Paul calls the prize. Look at what he says in verses 13 to 14. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I, Paul, have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. When we look at this, he's saying, I don't consider I've made it and that it comes later in the, in, the, in the couple verses there where he says he's pressing on toward the goal. So he doesn't consider that whatever this goal, this prize of the Christian life is, that he's actually already obtained it. And so the first question we should ask is, what is this prize that he's talking about? Paul is laboring. He's strenuously working in his life toward this upcoming goal and prize. And we should ask, well, what is that prize? 
The first place we can look for help is just back a few verses in the passage we looked at last week in verse 11. Paul says that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he goes into this discussion that he doesn't think he's already obtained this resurrection from the dead. So this is at least part of what he has in mind when he talks about the prize of the Christian life. And theologically speaking, the resurrection from the dead refers to this real future moment a moment in time that will happen when Jesus returns to our world. And in that moment in time, Jesus will raise the bodies of his people from the dead, reversing the curse of sin and all of its negative, awful effects, illness, age, deterioration, all of those things. And he'll give us new bodies that are free of sin's corruption. So I think this is at least in part what Paul is talking about when he talks about this glorious prize and goal that he's pressing forward toward in his life. But I don't think that it's just the physical resurrection that Paul's talking about. But actually, I think that it's what's associated with that coming reality, that future resurrection, that physical glorification that we'll experience. Look at uh, what he says in Romans chapter 8. He says, Those whom God predestined, so those whom he chose before time, he also called to salvation. And those whom he called, he justified. So he saved, he made right with God. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so you have this chain of different reactions that happen, all as a result of God choosing his people, that those who are predestined are called, those who are called are justified, those who are justified are glorified. And so when Paul says glorified there, he's talking about the same thing as the resurrection from the dead. And so it refers not only to this physical reality where we get these new resurrection bodies to come later on when Jesus comes back, but actually the great and glorious good news that you and I, if we are in Jesus Christ, will experience an eternity of perfect fellowship with our Lord and our Father God. And so that's the message. That's the prize for which Paul is laboring forward. That's the thing that he has in mind that leads him to this attitude of perseverance through all of life toward that great goal. And so let's talk about what is that perseverance. What does it look like? Because Paul uses a bunch of really interesting phrases here to talk about what that work of Christian perseverance toward this great prize, this great goal is. First phrase that he says is, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And here we see Paul's humility. It's really interesting to think about if there's anyone in the Bible or anyone in history, right, who could say that they really do believe that they have made it to full Christian maturity, that they have actually obtained the great prize, that they're totally sure of it, it would probably be Paul, right? The Apostle Paul who wrote, a, you know, a good chunk of our New Testament. And yet Paul even himself says, I don't consider that I've made it my own, that I've obtained this prize yet in my life. I got to visit this week um, with an older woman in our church who was one of the founding members of Southside, has been, had been so involved here and done so much to grow this church into what it is here today, and just an amazing story for her whole life of following Jesus and ministry to, to kids through Young Life, and just all these amazing stories that she has. And I so enjoyed talking to her, but what really floored me as I've been talking, as I was talking to her, she's been going through some medical troubles that have had her in and out of the hospital and rehabilitation. And she, sitting there, asked me, you know, me, young guy, Colin, she asked me, hey, I want to share the gospel with some of the people that I've met while I was in the hospital and while I was in rehabilitation. How do you think I should go about doing that? And I honestly felt they're like, well, you tell me, because 
I should be asking you how these things work because you've got all this experience. But it dawned on me as I'm thinking about that situation and looking at this passage and thinking about Paul who doesn't consider himself perfect, doesn't consider himself finished in the Christian life and the perseverance. And I think that the same reality is true for this woman, that she is humble enough in her spiritual walk, as amazing as she is, as great as, as um, her spiritual growth throughout her whole life has been, she's willing to ask me for help moving forward to be obedient to what God has called her to. And so Christian perseverance is humble. We never consider that we're finished. We always see the room to grow. Another thing that Paul says, he says, one thing I do, one thing I do. And what's interesting about that is that after he says one thing I do, he actually lists three things that he does, which is really odd, right? Um, but at the same time, I don't think Paul's saying there's only one activity in this world that I ever do. I think what he's saying is my life is consumed by one great and all-encompassing purpose, and that's my pursuit of Jesus Christ. And so when he says one thing, one thing I do, he's talking about his single-mindedness. Christian perseverance is single-minded. It moves toward one thing. It's obsessed with the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Perseverance means making your life about one thing, and that one thing is Jesus. And if you're really honest with yourself, everyone's life is about one thing. Human beings are pretty simple. We're pretty uncomplicated. We are really about one thing. And you can try to diversify, you can try to make your life about all these different things, but at the end of the day, there's going to be one great, all-encompassing theme of your life. And what Paul calls us to make that thing is Jesus. Make your one thing, your one all-encompassing passion in this world, your pursuit of Jesus Christ. He goes on and says that he forgets what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. I want to say that that means that Paul is undistracted in his Christian perseverance, in his pursuit of Jesus Christ. But this is really interesting, too, because in the Bible, there are other places that talk about not the importance of forgetting the past, but the importance of remembering the past. For instance, even Paul himself, in another letter to the Ephesians, he says this. He says, remember that you were at that time before you became saved, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope, and without God in the world. And then he says, but now, think about now, in Christ Jesus, you, were, who, uh, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so here, Paul seems to say the exact opposite of what he says in Philippians. In Philippians, he says, forget what lies behind. In Ephesians, he says, remember what came before. Remember your life before you became saved. So what's going on here? How can we do both? Well, Jesus also gives us some help. In the book of Luke, we see a statement from Jesus that's very interesting in Luke chapter 9. It says, yet another, another person said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so here we see Jesus talking about the importance of not looking behind, looking at what came before, but once you've committed to follow Jesus, you're looking forward. You're moving ahead with your life. And so what's going on here? Well, I think one clue can come when we think about what specifically did Paul himself need to forget as he moved forward in Jesus Christ. And if we look a little bit further back in the passage of what we actually saw last week, we can see what Paul is talking about, this thing that in order for him to pursue Jesus Christ, he had to forget. He had to leave behind. Look at verses 4 to 7. 
He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And so he gives us his credentials. He says, this was my life before I came to Jesus Christ. I had all this reason to think that I was a hot shot, that I had all these great things going for me. But then he says in that last verse, in verse 7, whatever gain I had, all of those things I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so what did Paul have to forget? What are the things that he forgot that were in the past? All the good things about himself all the reasons he had to boast, all the reasons that people might look at him from outside and say, wow, that guy's got a lot going for him. And so here's the basic guideline. We pull all of these things that Scripture says about forgetting and remembering the past. Here's the guideline. Forget anything, good or bad, that hinders your pursuit of Christ. Forget anything, anything good, anything that you think happened in your past that you're proud of. If it's distracting you from your pursuit of Jesus Christ, forget it. Count it as loss. Throw it away. Don't think about it anymore. If there's anything bad in your past, anything harmful, anything that's hurt you, anything that distracts you, that shames you, that hinders your pursuit of Jesus Christ, throw it away and forget it and don't think about it anymore. But on the other hand, remember anything, good or bad, that propels your pursuit of Christ. So if there's anything in your past that's shameful, that makes you more thankful for what God has done in your life, remember that. Hold on to that. Use that as a way to share the gospel, to show others what God has done in your life. If there's anything good in your past that you're proud of, that propels you toward Jesus Christ, remember that as well. And so there's your basic guideline there. Perseverance, though, means that we're giving our mental faculties fully to our pursuit of Jesus Christ. And that includes the things that we hold on to, our memories that we think about. Another phrase in the passage that Paul uses is that he's straining forward. He says, I'm forgetting what lies behind, and I'm straining forward toward this goal. And the image that he's evoking here in the Greek language is of a runner running a race a runner who is nearing the finish line. When he says he's straining forward, you get this image that the runner is panting, that he's sweating, that he's tired, but he's pressing on, he's almost there. You get the image that he's leaning forward, he's reaching out for the prize. This is the kind of image of intensity that Paul wants us to think of when we think about what it is to persevere in Jesus Christ throughout our lives. He's talking about it's not just this casual kind of perseverance, putting one foot in front of the other. It is intense You are straining forward. You are working with everything in you to obtain that end result of your Christian growth through God's work within you. Finally, he says that he's working toward the goal. And this tells us that Christian perseverance is eyes on the prize. Christian perseverance works toward the goal. Paul remembers that in everything God is doing in his life and all the hard work that it is to remain close to God and all the hard work that it is to grow in his obedience to God, he is working towards something greater, that resurrection, that glorification, that promise of eternal life spent with God. Perseverance means remembering the glorious future in store for God's people. And this glorious future, this prize, this thing that's coming, leads us to complete the big idea, bringing in that idea of assurance, that the mature Christian mindset perseveres to the end because it is assured of Christ Jesus. 
the reason that we are able to persevere to the end is simply and precisely because we know that God is going to bring us to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Look at verse 12. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this, and this being that great prize of the Christian life, that eternity, that eternal life, that culmination, but he says, not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And what's really interesting in this passage is that Paul uses the same word three times. When he says, obtained, when he says, I press on to make make it my own, And then he says, Christ Jesus has made me his own. All three of those words are the same Greek word, and it means to take hold of something, to grab onto something, to grasp it, to hold it firmly. This word that Paul is using is how he describes what it is to persevere when you know that you are assured of the thing that you are persevering for. In other words, we could paraphrase this passage by saying, Paul is saying, I haven't yet taken hold of the great reward of the Christian life, which is the resurrection, where God will make me perfect. But I am determined to take hold of it. And I know I will succeed because Christ has already taken hold of me. And so here we see this is the most important verse in this passage because this gives us the ground, the engine, the motivation, the reason that Paul is able to strive and strain and press on toward the prize that he is certain that God has already given him the prize. He has an assurance that his perseverance will culminate in the prize. There's no doubt in his mind. We know that Paul thought this way because in the book of Romans, he says this, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They cannot be taken away. Once God has given you his gifts, his blessings, the blessing of salvation, the blessing of eternity with him, he will not take them back. There's no going back. It's irrevocable. And so I want to, we're nearing the end here, but I want to make a very important theological point here. And it's not just a theological point because it actually makes all the difference for the way that we live as Christians in this world. Here's the point. It has everything to do with the distinction between perseverance and assurance. We are called to persevere, but not without assurance. God wants you, hear me clearly, God wants you to work hard to grow, to be obedient to him. He doesn't want you, once you are saved, once you come into his family, to stay where you are. He wants you to grow. He wants you to to make, make these great leaps forward in your life, in your spiritual walk. But he never wants you to grow because you're unsure whether he loves you, whether he saved you, whether he's forgiven you, whether he'll bring you to be with him when you die. So we persevere, but not without assurance. And at the same time, we're called to be assured, but never without perseverance. God wants you to be assured, to be confident, to have no doubt in your mind that you have a relationship with him. God wants you to know that you are forgiven of your sin. God wants you to be absolutely confident and grounded in this idea that Jesus Christ's work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is all that was needed for you to be brought into his family, for you to have eternal life with him. But he doesn't want that belief to then culminate in you doing nothing. He wants that belief to overflow in your life into perseverance, good works, response, and obedience to what he's called you to. These two things, we can never forget to combine these things together. 
we can never forget. Think about it this way. Here's an example. God wants you to persevere in reading the Bible. God wants you to, to absolutely be in his word. There's no doubt about that. And it's an amazing thing if you can work hard to establish a habit of reading the scriptures. If you can set a time aside in your day to say, I'm going to read the scriptures. If you can begin a reading plan that will take you through the Bible. Those are all great things. But the moment that we start doing those things because we're motivated by trying to make God love us or love us more, the moment we start doing those things because we think it's going to make God notice us and look at us and give us what we want, the moment that happens, we're not doing it for the right reason anymore. And so persevere in all of those good things, in service, prayer, giving, coming to church, but don't do those things out of fear that God's going to leave you or let go of you. Do them out of love because you know that he never, ever would do those things. You know, this weekend, um, I had a really fun experience because on Friday, I was going to do some laundry, and so I went down into my basement and found that there was a, a new indoor pool that had been installed, <laughs> without my knowledge. Um, and uh, and um, so I, I'm working down there, and I, and I realize, you know, I've got to get the water out of here, and so I start using the resources that were available to me. Here's a couple of them. And I had this, uh, thank you, Chris, I had this pump, right, that um, I had the, the hose running out to the driveway, but I realized that the pump had to be submerged in water for it to work. And I had about three inches of water down there, but it wasn't enough to actually pump the water up and out. So I put the pump in this bucket, right? And then, I, uh, and, and, and then I took the water in this snow shovel here, and I scooped the water into the bucket so that it was submerged in water so that it would pump the water out to the driveway, right? Thank you, Dave. Yeah, so this is, uh, you know, a really smart way of doing things. You can see, you know, my, my keen engineering mind at work. Um, and, so <laughs> and really, as funny as this image may be, picture this. The, the ceiling in that basement is about... Um, two or three inches shorter than me. So I'm down there squatting down like this, hunched over, working under the ground in the wet water like an orc. Uh, you know, it just was, it was dark. And I was down there for probably three hours doing that, trying to get the water level to go down. And it occurred to me, possibly because I um, was going crazy, but it occurred to me that this was a great image of what I was talking about when we look at the scriptures and what we've seen here today. That as long as I kept my eyes on the room and on the water level of the room, the, you know, the three inches, and I'm scooping that and I'm looking around, I'm not seeing any change, right? I'm working and I'm working and nothing's happening and I realize that's so discouraging. That makes me want to give up. That makes me go slower so that I hear the pump starting to gurgle because it, I can't keep up with the level of water that the pump needs to keep operating. But I noticed that when I kept my eyes on the bucket, and I just scooped the water into the bucket, and I watched the water level in the bucket, I could really see that something was happening. I knew that it was soaking up the water. I knew it was shooting it out in the driveway to annoy my neighbors. I knew this was all happening just the way it was supposed to be. And at the moment that I took my eyes off of it, and I looked back at the room, I started falling behind. I started getting tired. I started getting discouraged and thinking this was, nothing was happening. It's never going to work. As long as you keep your eyes on your perseverance... 
You keep your eyes on your work, on your growth, on your maturity. As long as you keep your head down and you're looking at the room and you're, you don't know what's happening, you're going to keep shoveling, you're going to keep working, you're going to get discouraged because you're not going to see that anything is happening. Because spiritual growth takes a long time. It's a lifelong process. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so as long as you keep doing that, you're going to wonder, is anything happening? Is this worth it? And eventually you're going to give up. You're going to quit. But as long as you keep your eyes on Jesus, as long as you keep your eyes on his glorious gospel, which tells us that God loved you so much that he became a human being, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, rose again from the dead, and has promised to come back to bring you to be with him. As long as you keep your eyes on that glorious truth about Jesus, that glorious assurance that you will experience that prize of the Christian life, then you can keep going. You can keep working. And eventually the water level will go down. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It is assurance that makes perseverance possible. Let's pray. Father, we just pause and we just reflect on the glorious truth of your gospel. God, you're so good to us. You're so generous with us. You're so kind and we are so undeserving of that grace that you've offered to us through your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray that we would never stop growing in our knowledge of your holiness, of our sinfulness, and of the glorious sufficiency of the cross of Jesus Christ to bring us to you. Lord, as we go to worship, we want to do exactly what we just talked about, and that's keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. God, as we go to the table in a moment to take communion, we want to do exactly that again. Keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, grow us in maturity, grow us in perseverance, grow us in assurance. Lord Jesus, make us the kind of people who can go out in this world and be a light to a world that is longing for you, that is dark, that is falling away from you. Father God, we need you. And as we go to worship, we pray that you'd intensify that need that we feel for you. In Jesus' name.